This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, come on, do your best shout ever. As Jesus was leaving the temple that day, one of his disciples said, Teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls. Jesus replied, Yes, look at these great buildings, but they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives across from the valley from the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew came to him privately and asked him, Tell us, when will all of this happen? What sign will show us that these things are about to be fulfilled? Jesus replied, Don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming, I am the Messiah. They will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in many parts of the world as well as famines. But this is only the first of the birth pains, with more to come. When, the, when these things begin to happen, watch out. You will be handed over to the local councils and beaten in the synagogues. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. For the good news must first be preached to all nations. But when you are arrested and stand trial, don't worry in advance about what to say. Just say what God tells you at that time, for it is not you who will be speaking, but the Holy Spirit. A brother will betray his brother to death, a father will betray his own child, and children will rebel against their parents and cause them to be killed. And everyone will hate you because you are my followers, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The day is coming when you will see the sacrilegious object that causes desecration, standing where he should not be. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in the winter, for there will be greater anguish in those days than at any time since God created the world. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless the Lord shortens that time of calamity, not a single person will survive. But for the sake of his chosen ones, he has shortened those days. Then if anyone tells you, look here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Watch out. I have warned you about this ahead of time. At that time, after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then everyone will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send out his angels to gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. 
In the same way, when you see all these things taking place, you can know that his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene before all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, be on guard. Stay alert. The coming of the Son of Man can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. When he left home, he gave each of his slaves instructions about the work they were to do, and he told the gatekeeper to watch for his return. You too must keep watch, for you don't know when the master of the household will return, in the evening, at midnight, before dawn, or at daybreak. Don't let him find you sleeping when he arrives without warning. I say to you what I say to everyone. Watch for him. Let me pray for you, and I'm going to put my faith with yours, and let's see what God wants to say to us today. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the reading of the word. Thank you, Jesus, for an opportunity, God, to open our heart today, to open our thoughts, and to bring us to a place of supernatural peace. I pray that the reading of the word that our ears just heard will find good ground in our heart, and I pray at the end of this moment today, our hearts will be full and we'll be at a supernatural place of peace in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to do something different. I have been praying all week long, just asking God as a shepherd of the house, you know, God, what do you want to do? Uh, I've never been in a place like this before. I had lunch with Michael last week, and he and I were just talking about, like, what does the immediate future look like? Uh, you know, I'm already hearing reports that it may be end of April, before public gatherings are permitted. And so thinking through that, I made a comment in a joking way, but sort of real as well. I told him, I said, I have no plan B. I have always given my life for God, for his kingdom, for his church. Uh, I always make comments. I would rather be a gatekeeper, a doorkeeper in God's house than work a thousand elsewhere. So, you know, for me emotionally... It's been difficult in the sense of feeling like the very house that you've always felt God would call you to is now, well, kind of closed shop for a while. So I've just been asking Jesus every day, would you give me wisdom? I, I, it would be so easy just to come here and just say, let's just pull off a service. You know, let's, let's do the best we can do, wow you with what we can do. And I've been praying about that, and this week was just different. I felt like in my heart as I prayed for us as a shepherd that Jesus just put, you know, a burning in me to lead you to a place of understanding the power of worship. And I've asked Michael and Olivia to come at the end today just to worship, to create an environment of worship in your home, where you are, because I believe it's going to bring you peace. I want to start here as we kind of build to that moment building toward a moment of communion together, and then just an atmosphere of worship, prophetic worship, where during that time, God is going to speak to you as well. Verse 7, in the middle of this chapter, it's a strange chapter, because verse 7, Jesus starts talking about wars, famines, diseases. Uh, he calls them birth pains, and he says, it's just the beginning, and I like what he says. It's kind of weird and strange. He says, hey, but don't panic. And that's the word I feel like God has given me for our house. Don't panic. And then I just laugh at that like you must be kidding. 
you're going to have wars, things are going on, famines, diseases, earthquakes, pestilence, all kind of crazy things. Don't panic. Oh, by the way, keep reading verse 8. Here's verse 8. It's going to get a lot worse. That's just the beginning of all the problems. It's about to really get worse. And then he starts going, and pregnant women, and, and parents, and children, it's going to get terrible. And you read it, and you go, don't panic? Like, you're telling me it's going to get worse than it is now, but then you kind of nonchalantly just throw in, but don't panic. And I've been pondering that all week long. And in some way, just kind of making jokes like, I feel like I may be flunking the test if this is a test because panic is all around us. We were panicking over toilet paper being gone, panicky over food, panicky over a virus. And now that our whole world has been kind of just stripped and turned upside down and we're all kind of rethinking this thing, you know, panic is just a big, big issue. And yet Jesus just assumes... Why are you going to panic? And so rather than preaching a sermon, I just want to tell you how in my life I've dealt with panic. I I often joke, and I have a friend that jokes as well, like years ago I had a gift of panic. Like I panicked at everything. I panicked at the end of the month with money. I panicked at every bump on my skin could be cancer. If my eye twitched, I may have a tumor. I mean, it... You know, we listen to that and go, oh, just believe, just have faith. And, you know, for the person that's not panicky, that's a really good out to tell somebody else, oh, just believe, just trust God. Why don't you just believe the Bible? Why don't you do this? And then for the person that's panicking, it's like, I'm doing all of that and it's not getting any better. I was praying, I was reading the Bible, and still panic was a big part of my life. You've heard me tell my story maybe. I couldn't even go into hospitals without having a panic attack. I would be in the middle of a run, and my heart would feel like it was racing, and my thoughts would just go crazy, and I, I would almost classify myself as just dysfunctional. I, I believe God. I love Jesus. I read the Bible. I go to church. I'm a giver. I mean, I do everything the Bible tells, but I have this looming problem, uh, just a gift of panic. And it took me 20 years to overcome it. So when I read verse 7, you know, it just, it just seems so easy. Like Jesus, like, eh, just don't panic until you're the person that's constantly dealing with it. You're the mother that wakes up every morning and is nervous about your children getting sick. You're the pregnant mom who's wondering, is your baby going to be okay? You're the woman who's waiting on a blood test to come back and your thought life is going crazy. You're the mom at home who's wondering if you're even going to have a job tomorrow. You're the dad that has worked overtime to build retirement and then overnight realize it's gone. You've been with a company 20 plus years only to realize, well, I don't even have a job anymore. So I think everybody listening probably has a greater understanding of panic. Why? Because anytime we face a crisis, a crisis reveals who we really are. If you want to know who you really are, face a crisis. Because a crisis will expose your deepest weakness. So, you know, I can fake Jesus when things are going well. Amen, brother. Hallelujah, sister. I'm good. You're good. Knuckle it up. You know, we can do the religious stuff. But when you face a crisis... A crisis will reveal your biggest weakness. So just take a moment and and just ask, in the last three weeks, 
that you've had your life flipped upside down. You've had everything that you may have been doing in your calendar flipped upside down. Your emotions, the news, everything that we probably knew as normal is no more normal. Ask yourself this, what weakness did that crisis reveal? Uh, what it revealed in me is, you know, I want to make sure that I do the kingdom the way God wants me to do the kingdom and not the way I want to do it. I want to make sure that I trust him when I say I trust him. And so I want to leave you with how I work through panic. Like, I could just simply tell you, well, why don't you just believe? And, you know, and if you're the one panicking, you're like, yeah, but you're not about to lose your job. Maybe you didn't get a bad report. Maybe your business is not threatening to lay you off. And it's easy for you to tell me to have faith, but you're not the one in the middle of hell that I'm in. I just want to say this to you. I have been there, and I know what that's like. And I know what it feels like to lay awake at night with a million thoughts. I know what it feels like to wonder if your kids are going to be okay. I know what it's like to wonder if you're even going to be able to pay your house payment. I've been there. I know what it's like to be driving down the road and think I'm going to have to pull over because I'm going to have a panic attack and I just got to breathe through this thing. I know what it's like to be going into a hospital but stop at the front door because I can't go in. I just cannot bring my panic self, the, the boldness to go in. So I do want to say this. If you are that person, and I don't mean maybe panic that you're, you know, you're falling out on the floor right now about to lose it, but panic in the sense that you're trepidatious, you're nervous, and you're definitely uncertain. And I just want to talk to you, and I want to lead you to a place of worship. Because what I felt to do this week is to create an environment of worship for you that will ease the panic that you may be facing. And I want to just take you there in just a minute. But here's what has to happen. Number one, panic will never be dealt with until you learn how to deal with your thought life. Like the thoughts that we have uh, given to us by God can be our best friend and our worst friend in a matter of two seconds. And it's going to be very hard to go, verse 7, well, I'm not going to panic if you can't even control your thoughts. Because once your thoughts get erratic and your thoughts begin to become chaotic, you will chase that rabbit hole of what if for days. Well, what if? Well, what if? And I found this about what if. Every time you play the movie, hoping for a different ending, it only leads to another movie. In other words, when I play the scenario of the what if, I get to the end and it still doesn't make me any more peaceful. So I have to just repeat the cycle. I keep what if going over. Well, what if I get fired? Well, what if it's a negative report? Well, what if we lose our house? Well, what if the kids don't go back to school? Well, what if they don't graduate? Well, what if I, what, and the what if just goes on perpetual. So there comes a place where you have to learn to control your thoughts. When I was in the middle of, you know, struggling with panic, I love what Robin said. She said, what are you afraid of? I said, well, I'm afraid of dying. She said, well, dear God, you're not dead yet. Don't you think the devil would have killed you by now if he could? And then I realized that the thoughts that were causing me panic were really not even a reality. It was just a fear of a certain potential reality. Like I was totally fine but the panic caused me to always think, well, what if? You may be sitting there listening this morning, and you're totally healthy. Your kids are totally healthy. They're probably in there eating Lucky Charms right now, totally healthy. You may even be having to say, be quiet, we're trying to watch this. 
And yet at the same time, your what-if scenarios, what if they get sick? What if they die? What if I get sick? What if this sore throat is really the coronavirus? What if, what if this fever? Oh, and then all of a sudden, here come all the what-ifs. I'll just simply tell you this. Your thought life has to be controlled. How do you control your thought life? How are you going to be able to get all these erratic thoughts to go away? Well, the best way I can tell you is you just have to stop playing what if. You just have to quit. And rather than going what if, you just have to go, it is right now. And rather than going what if, you have to take the next step. And this is the second thing into learning how to deal with panic. Rather than getting stuck on what if with my job, my wife, my health, my husband, our family, rather than getting stuck on what if, number two, in controlling your thoughts, you're just going to have to become thankful. You just have to be thankful for what you have right now. So you might even just have to pause a minute, turn around to the kitchen and go, I'm thankful my kids are eating Lucky Charms. I'm thankful my husband is beside me on the couch. You may even have to go real extreme like I did that day in the car and go, well, I'm just thankful I'm not dead yet. Uh, in the book I wrote, I wrote, if you're, if you're breathing, there's hope. I'm thankful I'm breathing. I mean, it can be that simple of a thing. I'm thankful I have a bed to sleep in. I'm thankful that I woke up today. I'm thankful I have a roof over my head. I'm thankful my car cranked. I'm thankful that I have toilet paper. You know, I mean, just, just to stop the panic, you have to be thankful. Panic just doesn't go away on its own. You have to verbally be thankful. That's Philippians 4 verse 6. Don't worry about anything, but in everything be thankful. It's the only way it works. And if you're going to constantly look at the news, constantly look at the circumstances, wake up every day afraid. I don't know what's going to happen today. Who does? I mean, like, really, who knows what's going to happen today? Even Jesus said in Matthew 6, every day has enough trouble of its own. You don't even know what tomorrow holds, so quit trying to figure out tomorrow. You don't have coronavirus yet, so quit trying to fear like you might get it tomorrow. You're, we're not planning your funeral yet, so quit thinking like we may have to plan your funeral. And just learn how to become thankful. So you might just need to stop right now, look at a husband or wife next to you, look at the kids at your feet, grab your cat, whatever, and just go, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for this dog sitting in my lap. I'm thankful for the cat over there that won't obey me. I'm thankful that, well, I've got some Pop-Tarts in the kitchen. You just have to <laughs> learn to create a spirit of thankfulness or you will never overcome. And I'm talking from experience. I'm not trying to preach a sermon. I'm just trying to tell you, I lived it for 20 years. What if, what if, what if, what if, and what if, and what if? And it finally dawned on me, I have to stop and control the what ifs, and I have to shift to thankfulness. That's what I need you to do to control the panic. As soon as this day is over or this moment of time is over and you've logged off this online experience, I need you to be a person that has 110% gratitude and thankfulness for everything. I need you to be thankful your kids are home. I need you to be thankful that the sun came up. And if it's raining for the next 30 days, rather than whining about it, thank God for rain. You know, it was just several years ago we had none. So be thankful. That's what you have to do. Number one, control your thoughts. And number two, be thankful. Number three, this is all out of Philippians. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, 
by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. To help ease panic, you just got to pray. Prayer is a great thing to do. Now, I, And I don't mean the, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Or God bless this food kind of praying. I mean the kind of prayer where Jesus says, Mark, just cast all your care on me because I care for you. Some of you may follow me or you know this uh, just from hanging out with me. I go on a prayer walk. I've been doing it for a long time. And uh, I, I wish I could say I go every day. Sometimes things get in the way. But I find that every time I make an opportunity in my life to talk to God, beyond just, uh, you know, dear Heavenly Father and in Jesus' name, you know, the typical religious phrasing, when I just get out in the woods or out in my subdivision, I just start walking. I'll have my uh, music playing in my hip pocket, and I'm listening to some worship music, and I just talk to God. And, and I talk to Him like I'm talking to you because I truly believe, 1 John 5, He hears me when I talk, and He cares about me. And one of the greatest things of panic is you start panicking when you go, what if you stop being thankful and then you think God doesn't even care about you? You think he doesn't even care that you're going to lose your job. You think he doesn't even care about your weaknesses. But Hebrews chapter 4 says he cares about your weaknesses. And he'll give you grace in the middle of your weaknesses. Read it. I mean, it's a powerful testament that in the middle of your weakness, God will give you grace. God will give you mercy. But if you're just feeding on constant fear and constant anxiety and every prayer is a victim prayer and you're not just using prayer as a communication tool with daddy God who knows what you need and knows the grace so look if you're panicky right now about a job you're panicky about retirement being gone you're panicky about maybe I don't even know if I'm going to go back to work you're panicky about losing your home I don't know what your panic motive is but why don't right now you just pause and go, God, I want to be thankful. And in my thankfulness, God, I just want to talk to you and give you the panic. I want to give you my anxiousness. And when Jesus said, cast all your cares on me, I think the way I would say it, if it was a translation I was writing out, like the Mark Evans translation, I would say it this way. Cast all your what ifs over to me because I care about you. And I just want to challenge you to do that. I want to challenge you to be active. In a moment, Michael and Olivia are going to come. And when they come and lead us in a time of worship, it is a way that you can take every what if in this environment of worship and you can throw it over to the Lord and say, God, care for me. So let me run through it again. What are you going to have to do? A crisis reveals your greatest weakness. A crisis will determine whether or not you're going to live by faith or you're going to live by your feelings. And when that arises, you have to determine, will you or will you not take charge of your what-ifs? Will you or will you not, based on what you believe, become thankful instead of fearful? And then in all of that, will you set aside a time every day to commune with your Heavenly Father? To talk with Him, to cast the anxiety over. I mean, I'm standing in an empty building right now. And I said this last week, but it's real to me. You know, I look at this and go, God, how, how will we ever pay for this? The debt that's on it, the monthly note, the, the salaries that are dependent on it. I mean, the anxiety alone that can come with that. 
you know, just from a business side, much less a spiritual side of the three or 400 people that call this place home and Robin and I wanting to lead strong and not lead weak, the anxiety that can come with that, do you know what I've learned? Rather than sitting down here biting my nails, anxious about what's going to happen, I just put my tennis shoes on, I drive over to Sweetwater Park, and I just start worshiping and walking. And in worshiping and walking, I just talk with God. And it's amazing how panic, by the time it's over, like every what if has turned into a certainty. Every panic has turned into a moment of thankfulness. Everything I find that I'm nervous about and panicky about, I just become thankful for it. I'm not going to go broke. I'm not going to die young. I'm not going to fear that my children, I'm not going to fear that our church body will, will dissipate and wither away. I just refuse to do that and I become thankful in that prayer. Now, let me give you one thought as we prepare our heart for communion and worship. As I was praying about us today, I want to share with you why I believe worship is so powerful. Uh, you know, in the thing we call church, worship becomes a set list. It becomes the three songs, four songs that we sing before the preacher or the welcome comes. You know, it's kind of part of the production of the day. But I'm learning in this time of crisis, worship is not just a production. Worship is a warfare. And it's where we do our best war. Exodus chapter 15, if you don't mind turning there, if you open your Bible, because something very strange is going to happen in the book of Exodus. If you don't know the story, it's directly affiliated with the power of worship. Uh, the story goes like this. Moses has led several million people out of bondage from Egypt. And they're in the middle of the desert and they've been called to go worship God. But in the middle of being called to worship, they find themselves in a place of panic. Exodus 13 and 14, Moses becomes very panicked. Why? Because he's at the river's edge with no way to go and all of Pharaoh's army is behind him. And Moses is standing on the shore of the river, panicky. And God shows up. I love what God asked him. He said, what are you crying for? I mean, you think God would have more compassion. But he literally looks at Moses and says, what are you crying about? Stretch out your rod and walk across on dry ground. And to tell you the story that's leading up to Exodus 15, Moses stretches his rod, the water parts, three million plus people walk across the water, Pharaoh's armies follow behind, the water covers them over. It's the story of Moses, right, in the Red Sea. And all of Pharaoh's army drowns, and now three million people, watch, are on the other side of panic. Just on the shore was panic, and they've walked across, and now they're on the other side of panic. And we pick up Exodus 15 with something called the Song of Moses. And the first thing Moses and two million people do is they write a song of deliverance, and they begin to sing it. And I love the fact that the writer of Exodus penned the song down. I'm going to read the song, and I just want you to listen to it. Because at the end of the reading, we're going to take communion together. And then we're going to enter into a time of worship. And rather than it being a set list, the worship that's going to come is going to be your warfare. It's going to be the warfare that brings you from the side of panic to the side of peace. So I want you to stay engaged. I want you to open your heart to worship. Because what God put on my heart for our body this week 
is that this moment of worship that is about to happen is going to move your life from a place of panic into a place of peace. Listen to Exodus 15 verse 1. And Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. He's hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength. He's my song. He has given me victory. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. Yahweh is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and army he has hurled into the sea. The finest of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters gushed over them. They sank to the bottom like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, is glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, smashes the enemy. In greatness of your majesty, you overthrow those who rise against you. You unleash your blazing fury. It consumes them like straw. At the blast of your breath, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood straight like a wall. In the heart of the sea, the deep waters became hard. The enemy boasted, I'll chase them and catch up with them. I'll plunder them. I'll consume them. I'll flash my sword with a powerful hand and I will destroy them. But you blew with your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you among all the gods, O Lord? Glorious in holiness, awesome in splendor, performing great wonders. You raised your right hand and the earth swallowed our enemies. With your unfailing love, you lead the people you have redeemed. In your might, you guide them to your sacred home. The peoples hear and tremble and anguish grips those that live in Philistia. The leaders of Edom are terrified. The nobles of Moab tremble. All who live in Canaan melt away. Terror and dread fall upon them all. The power of your arm makes them lifeless as stone until your people pass by, O Lord. Until your people you purchased pass by. You'll bring them in and plant them on your mountain. The place, O Lord, reserved for your own dwelling. The sanctuary, O Lord, that your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. Doesn't sound much like our songs today that have a chorus and a bridge and a verse or two. But what the first initial act of worship in our Bible comes from Moses. And it's a song about the power of God's deliverance. The worship song that Moses penned that is about the delivering power of God that brought the people from the shore of panic to the shore of peace. Are you ready for this? Buckle up because this is powerful. This is how awesome the warfare of worship is. Because Exodus 15 is the song of Moses. Listen to Revelation 15. And I saw in heaven another marvelous event, great and significant. The seven last plagues which would bring God's wrath to completion. And I saw before me what seemed to be a glass sea mixed with fire. And on it stood all the people who had been victorious over the beast and his statue and the number representing his name. They were all holding harps that God had given them. And listen to this, verse 3. And they were singing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. That is powerful. Exodus 15 is the first real worship tune we have in our Bible. And it's connected to the power of warfare for God to bring you from a place of panic to a place of peace. 
And as if that's not powerful enough, the same song shows up in Revelation 15, and they're still singing it throughout eternity. That's what I want you to grab hold of today. Worship is your warfare. Worship will move you from panic to peace. And I want to give you an opportunity today to spend some time with Michael and Olivia, to worship with them, and to just let God, over the next few minutes, maybe remove all the distractions. Robin is coming. She and I are going to take communion with you. So here's what I'd like you to do. I want you to remove all the distractions that may be in the room. And I want you to really take a moment to focus in on worship being your warfare. It's why I felt to put the worship at the end today is not to put it before the preaching as a set list, but to put it at the end as an act of our warfare, an act of our worship that will bring us to a place of peace. And here's what I felt I heard the Lord say for our body. If you will engage in this moment of time, when it's over, and I don't know how long it'll last, I've just asked Michael and Olivia just to lead us to a place of worship. I've asked them to create an environment of victory around you today as they sing. And I want you to stay in with them in worship because when it's over and when the Spirit of God has created that atmosphere for you, you're going to find yourself living in a land of peace and not panic. I'm going to ask Robin to come. We're going to take communion with you now. If you want to get your elements together and you want to get it there, we want to take communion with you. Robin is going to pray a blessing over you. At the end of her blessing, Michael and Olivia are going to come and lead us in some beautiful moments of worship for you to enjoy. I bless you. Amen. As we get ready to, to take communion today, I want to remind you that this is not just a, a trite moment or an exercise that we do every week at Believer's Church, but it's a moment that God gave us to add some surety to our feet. Um, and, and by that, I mean just to bring a constant. It's to remind us of who he is. The book of Hebrews tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging. So in these circumstances that we've got where we're being bombarded with change every day, every day I get a new announcement about what's going on. We get new announcements about our jobs, about school, about vacations. Um, and like like Mark just said, the, the urge to panic is huge. But this moment moment is a moment that can bring surety to us. It's a moment that can set our eyes um, on the one that we're about to worship. And the reason that that brings a stillness and a calmness to us is because he hasn't changed. He's not changing throughout this crisis. He's not changing throughout whatever's going on with you. He is the same Jesus as he was the day that he instituted um, this, this ceremonial activity that we're going to do. He's the same God that instituted the song that Mark just read about in Exodus. And he is the same God who can bring victory to your life. He can bring a calm to you. He, he has not changed. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So as you grab your elements and you grab hands with your family, I want us to think about that. As we begin to worship, I want you to think about the fact that he is still God, and he is on the throne of all of our lives. So, um, Father, as we get ready to partake of the bread and of the wine today. Lord, we just lay aside our thought patterns that could be messy right now. We lay aside, Father, just things that could be bombarding us. Lord, ideas that could be um, pulling us off of the truth of who you are. And we sure up our lives today, Father. We sure up our thought patterns. We, we just take a moment, Father, to get our focus off of the what-ifs, 
off of the tomorrows. And God, we remain thankful in this moment. We are thankful for the blood of Jesus. We're thankful that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are thankful that that not only did you promise us victory, but you won victory for us by shedding your blood on the cross, for giving us your son, by, by Jesus Christ laying down his life for us. You have given us the victory, and we line ourselves up with that right now. We line our minds up with it. We line our mouths up with it. God, we line our attitudes up with it and our hearts up with it. And as we take these elements and we turn our face towards you and we begin to worship you this morning, Father, we thank you that you make yourself very, very real, very, very real to us this morning. We love you. We honor you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can partake. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 